two in plain sight. Jeremy in Kentucky here on Republic Broadcasting Network. Go to republicbroadcasting.org, smash the donate, send the fundage. Still in a money drive to uh, get the bills paid and keep this great, uh, these great broadcasts going. So uh, get your uh, get your checker and checkbook out. Make your checker money order payable to RBN 2251 Double Creek Drive, Suite 302, Round Rock, Texas, 78664. Call in the debit or credit to 1-800-724-2719, extension 3. And uh, Julie will be standing by. Tonight is the Patrick and Jeremy show, the most long-awaited highlight of your week, I'm sure. Patrick, welcome. Well, thank you very much. It's it's always a pleasure. Yes, that it is. Um, so, yeah, we got storms coming in. Hopefully, we'll keep internet. But uh, this is pre-recorded by about two hours, so if it messes up, we'll fix it. Um, that storm's coming in, coming up through Kentucky, that is. Uh, let's see, what do we have? The border, I think, is top on the list. Americans, uh, let's see, Americans want a border, 61% think. Let me see if I got that right. Did you catch that headline? No, 53% of Americans want a border. 61%, I think, immigration is a very serious problem. Got this headline from the storm, but they go to the New York Post. A new poll shows for the first time that a majority of Americans are supporting building a wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. While three-fifths of the country sees illegal immigration under Biden as a very serious problem. They say under Biden, it's really under. Mayorkas, the uh, Jew that hails from Cuba, right? Yep. They quote, the, they quote a Monmouth University survey. I've uh, read stuff from Mon. You know, I've read surveys from them. Are they reliable? Monmouth? Are you familiar? Well, I mean, reliable or not, they they it's Monmouth University. I think that's in Connecticut somewhere. It's it's somewhere in the Northeast, and they do polling. Uh, Quintapiac does polling. Monmouth does polling. It's as good as anywhere else. I, I would think that it's probably more than that. They're probably lowballing that percentage with the uh, the events of the last year of illegals being housed in five-star hotels and given over $2,000 de- de- credit cards, debit cards, and the New York City mayor talking about giving them 10000 each uh, for their meals. Uh, they're getting these ready-to-eat meals that are just wasted. They're not eating them. Um, you know, we talked about this a lot last week. Um, some more stats they threw out there. Uh, when When the question was most recently asked in April of 2019, Support for the border wall had risen to 42% among U.S. adults, while opposition had dwindled to 56%. Uh, the last time more Americans supported building the wall than opposed it was September in 2015. 48% in favor of a wall, 43% were opposed. I don't know, what what do you make of those numbers? What, so I know in 2015, you had the last year of Obama and uh, of the Kenyan and Big Mike, uh, Trump was running. He came out with those very uh, inflammatory statements, inflammatory, you know, from the left's point of view, that we're getting all of these rapists coming over the border. Some of them may be good people. Uh, really, I mean, he just struck a chord with white nationalists, and he sort of gave regular American right-wing patriots a little glimpse into um, the views of white nationalism. 
So, I mean, would you attribute that surge in 2015 to maybe some of the rhetoric he was putting out? It said 48% were in favor in 2015. And you might be on mute. Yeah, you're muted. Boomer City. Yeah, I, I'd heard of the idea of a, uh, a border wall. It was something that had been talked about a bit in the, uh, in the aughts. Um, it didn't really get any momentum until Trump came along. And, uh, you know, yeah, it wasn't going anywhere. That idea wasn't going anywhere. The, according to, uh, Ann Coulter, who is pretty much a immigration hawk, uh, the, the 2012 Republican primaries, the, the, uh, most anti-immigrant anti-immigration position was Mitt Romney's. Well, they should just deport themselves. That was, it was his stance. So it really wasn't. It's not that it was unheard of, but it wasn't on the break. It really wasn't going anywhere until Trump came along with those inflammatory statements, which are, I mean, so inflammatory, they were basically a new fuel source. Um, I don't know if they contribute to global warming or not. Well, I'm, I'm sure they did. I'm sure, you know, opposing you know, illegal immigration does uh, attribute to climate change and warms the globe. Uh this is something I wanted to hit on a point that you made with Collett on your Monday broadcast. And you all were talking about AI and social media and how social media was relatively controlled. I mean, it was basically used, uh, you know, Facebook and Twitter were used as a means of, uh, for the CIA and the Mossad to overthrow governments in the Arab Spring. And that it, they sort of lost control of that right around 2013, 2014. When you had all of these, uh, independent, social media influencers out there and they were able to get just as many, if not more views and audience than uh, columnists on CNN and all of your major networks. And so I think that right around 2013, that was a time when uh, the, the, the system was losing control of the narrative online. Uh, and you had all these, uh, you know, that was when the rise of biz came out, daily stormer came out. Uh, Richard Spencer was getting big. The the whole alt-right scene, and, and that's a mixed bag. The alt-right was a mixed bag. I think there was a lot of infiltration in that, um, a lot of well-meaning people in that as well, and a lot of well-meaning people maybe in groups that were infiltrated. It, it's really hard to say. The point that I'm making, though, is that this is about the time that Trump got on Twitter and started the – well, he was doing the birthing stuff earlier, but you can look back at some of Trump's 2013 tweets uh, where he was – in 2014, where he was against the war in Syria. He was heavily criticizing the Obama administration. I think he was sort of setting himself up, maybe, for a run even back then at a time when social media was taken off. And I don't know if it was Trump or the people that were advising him, um, like Stephen Miller. I was one of his big advisors, the the right-wing Jew. Um, These people probably were pushing him and saying, look, you could actually win the presidency. through a wave of uh, campaigning on social media. What do you think of that? Maybe. Uh, So, I mean, as far as the immigration issue is concerned, the issue, um, it's always been my assumption, and I don't know, I could be be wrong, but it was always my assumption he kind of stumbled into it, and then it uh, it caught on with his fire, with his followers, 
and then he was inspired by his followers. John, as Don Black said, in terms that like the social media thing, um, Donald Trump was very very big on on Twitter going into 2015, and you know Twitter's been around for a while. How long has it been around? I don't know. I guess it's from the late aughts. Uh, I guess what. YouTube is from the mid-aughts, maybe, Twitter. I remember Jack Dorsey coming on Stephen Colbert's show when he was on Comedy Central and and describing it. It was pretty new then. So that could have been like 2008, 2009. And I guess by 2015, uh, it was pretty big, and Trump was very big on it. So it may well... And, and Trump... Well, here's the thing about Trump. So Trump, he, A, he used Twitter very, very effectively. Uh, that's for sure. Also, and this was different from other people running for president. You always think that they want, they want coverage, but they want to control their coverage. And so they, they, want, to get, uh, they want to get specific messages and specific sound bites across. And Trump, who had celebrity... He was he was very very famous. Trump did um, Trump would just call into uh, morning talk shows, and he, so he was just getting on talk shows, often live in the morning, offering himself, and this was good content for the these programs. And this was mainstream news. And, it, and when Trump didn't seem like that serious of a candidate. Having having on Donald Trump on the Good Morning America show or whatever, you know why not? He was popular. You know he was he had celebrity. It was probably reasonably good for ratings. But if, but he didn't he couldn't control the message. But he was willing not to control the message. He was willing to come on and uh, let them ask whatever questions they want. Whereas uh, Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz or or. Uh, John Kasich or the other mainstream people, Jeb Bush was running. Uh, they were afraid to just call in and have ha- uh, have an impromptu live conversation. And so Donald Trump used that very effectively as well. But yeah, uh, but just back to your point about the social media, um, whether somebody came to him, whether that's something he could have recognized himself, it, it's hard. It's hard to know. Um, it you know it is on the one hand. He was very effective using Twitter. On the other hand, he used Twitter on a boomer flip phone. <laughs> and, and, and it was it was him. It was uncensored. It was misspelled. The grammar was messed up. The punctuation was wrong. It was Donald Trump on his boomer flip phone. And it was in the middle of the night. Yeah, it was funny. It was uh, hilarious. You saw this shift right around 2013 from uh you know the populace that consume media switching from the legacy media to uh social media and alternative media online you saw this huge shift and i think that whoever was advising trump saw this as the perfect storm it culminated in the 2016 election at a time when uh hardcore traditional you know, anti-war Democrats, pro-union Democrats, pro-worker Democrats were feeling very disenfranchised uh, as the Democrat Party started advocating for 
uh, trannies in women's bathrooms and homo marriage. And, you know, maybe they weren't totally against it. Maybe their attitude was, well, whatever you do in your bedroom, whatever. But the whole it, the whole focus of the Democrat Party just shifted completely. And it left these people uh, out in the cold. And they came into the warm, inflammatory uh, cabin with a big wood stove going of inflammatory remarks fueling it of Donald Trump and his campaign. I think that's a, a phenomenon that we've witnessed if we can look at this in retrospect and kind of see how things were going back then. Uh, and I think you saw just the system sort of losing control uh, of the narrative online. And that culminated in the huge censorship of 2017 post-Charlottesville uh, that we continue to see today of just this re- massive deplatforming uh, and, uh, you know, just flat out banning people, right? I know Anglin had his domain stolen multiple times, uh, Daily Stormer. Uh, so you, you see this heavy-handed censorship happening uh, post-Charlottesville for, in an attempt for them to get back control of the narrative, right? Yeah, and um, the infrastructure to to ban uh like it wasn't as if charlottesville just all of a sudden woke people up and they started shutting things down there was a lot that was going on and tucker interviewed some guy and i've talked about i was talking about this earlier i can't remember the guy's name i think i on mark collett when i had mark collett on i had the name in front of me let's see if i can find it but um yeah there was this guy uh, I, I'll find it for later in the show. I'll say his name later in the show. Somebody who wasn't really on my radar screen. Uh, and he's somebody who has worked for the State Department but doesn't seem like a total creep. And he was describing this massive uh, government-private sector partnership that's been, it goes pretty far back. But it was, it was, all ready to to shut it down when when social media reached this point where it was no longer um, a means by which the the system what he calls the blob what I call the Jews but the, where it was no longer the, the system was no longer to able to control things and you had these individual accounts these these random people somebody you know like mark collett for instance who had he had a youtube account with like ninety thousand followers which is pretty good he had a twitter no i guess he had ninety thousand on twitter but no but maybe he had ninety thousand on youtube and he had whatever tens of thousands or more on twitter and you know people like him were able to reach as many people as a uh maybe a, a daytime cnn show so it um and at that point, they had to shut it down, and, and shut it down they did. And where would he have went from there? Just to give some perspective to the listeners, um, I'm on Instagram, and I uh, you basically can watch, like, it's basically another form of TikTok, kind of. You can watch a lot of short or long reels, and the algorithms feed you videos based on your interests. Uh, you know, if you like cooking shows or martial arts or survival shows, they'll feed you these and I noticed I don't like to watch Gordon Ramsay. I really like his content. He has upwards of 16 million followers today. And some of uh, some of the people that have appeared on his show, some of these cooks, have you know four 
to 5 million followers, even like in Master Junior Chef, like some of these teenagers that appeared on his uh, his show for children cooking, uh, some of them have 4 and 5 million followers. That's where, you know, people like Collett could be, or even David Duke could even surpass mm-hmm. that if it wasn't for the heavy-handed censorship. Uh, so so there's one thing. And and I wanted to mention and get your input on this the, the huge political realignments that we saw in 2013 and 2014 when this sh- attention shifted from the legacy media. Also 2016 when, you know, uh, Democrats and independents and uh, the like shifted over to vote for Trump. And then another realignment in 2020 in wake of the COVID hoax and the election hoax. And now we're seeing an even bigger shift. Uh, 2022 with Ukraine and 2024 with the Israel genocide of Palestinians, we're seeing a shift of leftists who would normally be pro-immigration and pro-Israel are now coming out and, you know, pushing back on illegal immigration, pushing back heavily and protesting heavily against Israel. Another major political realignment is happening in real time. It, yeah, it sure is. Now, I'm just, I, I went and saw the guy I was trying to think of. His name is Mike Benz, B-E-N-Z, Mike Benz, uh, like Mercedes Benz or like William Benz from Montana, William from Montana. Uh, William Benz was his name. Uh, so if I, I highly recommend this video. It's it's mostly William Benz. I mean, Mike Benz talking. Uh, if you don't like Tucker, it doesn't matter. Tucker gives this guy a platform and here and there adds a asks a, a pertinent question or so or ask, gets some clarification. It's it's really interesting, a lot of material there. But uh, yeah, there is this political realignment going on. And it's hard to know exactly where it's going. Uh, so it's not as if these these young college students are going to go out and vote for Trump. Uh, and you know, build a wall and deport them all. That's that's not exactly how it's it's going. But and I'm alone. Skin, yet chill me to the bone. Do you begin to smell some funky little things going on? Let me share this story with you. It's not so much a story. It's something I wrote years ago. Read your history, people. Stock markets collapse on Friday. Bank seizures, closures, holidays take place after business hours on Friday. Do currencies or governments also collapse on Friday? (laughs) Tomorrow's Friday. Will the end come on this Friday or will the inevitable collapse hold off for a while? The next round of the worst financial crisis in a hundred years is coming, people. And the government is out to make you and I pay for it. Will your savings survive a global banking wipeout? What happens when the U.S. sees hyperinflation? What if taxes soar not only for the rich? Can you survive the stock market tanks? Look, between a stock market wipeout, waves of bank failures, soaring government spending that will lead to hyperinflation and the destruction of the dollar's value, isn't it time that you prepare for the uncertainty which lies ahead? Protect your money now or forever kiss it goodbye. 
My friends, I offer you over six decades experience of hard asset ownership and knowledge. And I'm prepared to handle the smallest detail in the balanced protection of your portfolio. For as the future of uncertainty continues to blanket this nation of ours, I believe that I can offer you the privacy, safety, security, and possibly some profitability which you deserve. And so I invite you to visit SierraMondrePreciousMetals.com for further information regarding protecting your wealth. Or call me, Jeffrey Bennett, at 602-799-8214. Or by email at KettleMoraineLTD at Cox.net for private consultation. Once again, our phone number 602-799-8214. It's almost Friday. Have you been looking for a trusted long-term storable food company? We have a solution for you. Simply Clean Foods is dedicated to providing the best quality food you can buy next to fresh from a farmer's market. Our line of resealable fruits, vegetables, and meats are suitable for everyday use, and you won't have to worry about throwing away valuable groceries ever again. Our food is completely GMO-free, and our stringent quality controls, plus testing for heavy metals, makes us unique in the storable foods market. Simply Clean Foods' primary focus is to bring clean food to people all around the world and change the way we look at freeze-dried food in our daily cooking. When you purchase from Simply Clean Foods, not only will you be receiving high-quality food, but you will also be supporting veterans in need across the country and those who are affected by natural disasters. Go to republicbroadcasting.org and click on Long-Term Food Storage in the Rotating Sponsors banners to support RBN. Simply Clean Foods. Do it today. You It's not as if these these young college students are going to go out and vote for Trump uh, and, you know, build a wall and deport them all. That's that's not exactly how it's it's going. But the the thing is, the Democratic Party is really like the the, the Democratic voter base. Um, how do you describe it? They are have become incompatible with each other. So you, you have the, well, you have the, politi- the, the Democratic political elite, which is absolutely beholden to Jewish money. And they don't want it, the, the political establishment, the, the leadership establishment doesn't want to, uh, they don't want to criticize Israel. And obviously Biden himself, he ca- calls himself a Zionist. And um and he's got these Jews running in his foreign policy and yet the bulk of the people he depends to vote uh, on for votes which okay the the young people the young people are really turned off by this Israel stuff the blacks who are another, another part of his base the blacks don't like they they're not all invested in Israel uh, who else does he have? He has single women, but you know, single white women. Obviously, the black women are mostly single. I, it's true, uh, but the the single white women, though. I mean, 
they'll go, they'll do whatever um, their their influencers tell them to do. If their influencers, if they're older, that those influencers are, you know, um, Whoopi Goldberg or whatever they're seeing on TV. If they're younger, it's probably somebody on YouTube. Um, but the, it's this Israel stuff is is really really repulsive. And it's turning people off. And then, of course, you also have the massive immigration, which if you go into these cities, you see it, but it spills it spills out from the cities. So, you know, I've, I was in Chicago and I saw hotels that I was staying at or, or um, hotels very nearby that were uh, booked up by these weird nonprofits that I'm sure are funded by Homeland Security. Uh, with with staffed these nonprofits are staffed by immigrants with foreign accents, but presumably passports or at least green cards, um, harassing people who might want to take pictures of the bizarre scenes in the parking lots and out you know out out in the sidewalks in front. It's really really it's it's kind of what's the word for it? Uh, it's not you know you got these weird weird immigrants with accents. And I'm not talking about the illegal immigrants. I'm talking about the ones who work for these these nonprofits or whatever these groups are, uh, bossing around regular Americans. And but it, it's it's not just in the cities, and it's not just in the bad parts of the cities. It's also in the nice parts of the cities, and it's spilling into the suburbs. Uh, when I was in some suburb in uh, Wisconsin, wherever w- the guitar player Les Paul was from, I forgot the name of the town. But I was there, and you saw these people walking around in Wisconsin on on Les Paul Boulevard. So it's uh, that's unsustainable. Now the the Republican side, uh, there's there's internal problems there, but it's not quite as bad. I, like the, the the establishment people who don't like Trump, uh, and that's the whole reason Nikki Haley exists. They. Um, some of them might, might go and vote for, I I don't know. I'm not, I'm not all that articulate right now, but I'm going to say, I have one last thing to say. So, um, you know, you were saying you're expecting a, uh, Gavin Newsom chlamydia ticket. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you were saying, which is a possibility. If, um, Biden is is eased out after the convention. That's a, that's actually a distinct possibility. Um, here's a possibility. What if chlamydia was eased out? What if they got rid of chlamydia? How about this? What about a Biden Nikki Haley ticket, and then maybe a Trump Tulsi ticket? That would be that would just be weird. Anyway, that's as much as I'll I'll stammer. I kick it back to you. A Biden Haley ticket would put the death nail in the Republican. Or in the uh, Democrat uh, party, for sure, in their coffin. Um, I'm, I'm going to stick with uh, Newsom Chlamydia. But one thing I wanted to mention, what you're describing where leftists are not even allowed to record these events, or no one's allowed to record these events yeah. happening, uh, that's democracy, my friend. <laughs> that is democracy, where you're not allowed to go against the system, you can't even record it. Um, you can't have any freedom of speech at all. It's just go with what the system tells you. That is what modern democracy is. Who knows what 
the original meaning of democracy was that's been lost. But one thing I wanted to point out was that the the hardcore Democrat base, they're completely disenfranchised. They have a choice. They can vote for the Biden or the or, or you know whoever is going to represent the Democrat Party, and 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 that's going to get them infinity immigration, which they're against, and pro-Israel, which they're against. Or and I don't think they're going to vote for Trump. Or they can do a protest. You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. Are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs? For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste for the price of a cup of coffee. Hemppaste.com slash RBN. Free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at republicbroadcasting.org and visit hemppaste.com slash RBN. Corporate media dominates the American opinion. Finding independent voices that counter this avalanche is becoming increasingly difficult. With the endless corruption running rampant throughout our government, independent voices are needed more than ever to battle the offensive against our freedoms and liberties. As a listener of RBN, no one understands this concept better than you. Now it's up to you to do your part. The time has come for you to take action and begin broadcasting the truth to hundreds or thousands of people every month. Sound impossible? Quite the contrary. With pointed slogans from LibertyStickers.com, you can reach countless sleeping Americans unaware that they live in a real-life wonderland. LibertyStickers.com has a huge inventory of political bumper stickers and messages that reflect the truth about our government, our politicians, and the future of America. With so many in stock, there's one perfect for you. Visit us today at LibertyStickers.com. Again, that's LibertyStickers.com. Do your part. Your voice is important. Let it be heard. My name is John. I'm the founder of Blackout Coffee, and I started uh, Blackout because I really love coffee. I've always loved coffee, and after traveling so much to Europe, South America, and trying so many different coffees that were so good, and uh, every time I came back, uh, to the U.S., I was so disappointed with the coffee, so I figured that I had to do something about it. The biggest difference is really is on the beans and the roasting process, how we roast it, and how fresh it is. The fresher the roast, the better the quality. Here I have like all, all of the coffee. It's roasted within one to two days prior to being shipped. So it literally gets to consumers' house within three to five days after being roasted. If you like coffee... You have to try ours. It's fresh roasted. It's one of the best beans that we can get. And you will definitely see the difference. Visit blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10. That's REPUB10. Memory! Your landline is burning holes. Recover the damage. 
And that's going to get them infinity immigration, which they're against, and pro-Israel, which they're against. Or, and I don't think they're going to vote for Trump, or they can do a protest vote, which is not vote. And you're just going to have massive amounts of people, core people in the Democrat electorate, just not voting. Mm-hmm. Right, because as we've mentioned before, the Republicans have it pretty hemmed up because most Trump supporters are pro-Israel and anti-immigration to some point. You know, there's a scale there. Um, but the, the, the most important thing about all of this is it doesn't really matter about the elections, who's in power. It matters and it doesn't matter. What matters is the campaigning and getting people to talk about these issues. And that certainly has been a thing. People are talking about it. Uh, and both left and right are realizing that they do not have a government that represents them. I, I think that's something you pointed out that I've had a little trouble digesting because I'm in the camp of elections don't matter. They're going to hoax it. But I'm starting to see um, how just the mere campaign and the mere getting these issues out and getting them talked about uh, can make some kind of a difference. You can reach a critical mass where enough people on the left and the right uh, are have no confidence in the system and the system collapses, which is the best thing that we could actually hope for is for the system we're under to completely collapse. It already has collapsed in the eyes of the international community, and it is in the process of collapsing uh, in the uh, American electorate. So. So, indeed. Um, yeah, it's, you know, you said um, most of Trump's electorate is pro or anti-immigration, pro-Israel, and you know it's it's kind of sad. The true, I mean, most most are going to be pro-Israel. You look at whatever polling data is, there is, older people are more pro-Israel, and um, uh, Republican or right-leaning people are more pro-Israel, which is very sad. Uh, but it's true. I'm I haven't been following Donald Trump's like I haven't listened to him that much lately uh i know he was on with laura ingram i don't know what they were talking about uh i i would like to know and i ought to know because i'm i'm on these shows talking about stuff uh i don't you know he he i know like regarding ukraine he's been saying for a while oh this would have never happened would have never happened and i can end this in 24 hours i just get them to just get them to talk to each other, and uh, it'll all get worked out. Which is very vague. Uh, I know he's he's said that the that October seventh would have never happened. Maybe he would have just like cut a hole in the calendar. It would skip over October seventh. I'm not really sure. Like the thing is, I just don't know. I don't. Just, he's such a wild card. I don't know what he would do. There's two questions. What would he do? That's one question. The other question is, how will he campaign? And of course, they they can be very, very different things for any politician. What they say when they campaign and what they do when they're elected are often very, very different things. I don't know what he's. I don't know what to expect either way, honestly. Um, you know, he's he's he has been concentrating a lot more on immigration. I don't know. I don't know what he will, would do with with Israel because because the thing is. It was, he's got to know that the, it was the Jews who have been persecuting him. It's Jews who are trying to take away his fortune. It's Jews who are trying to 
lock him in prison. It's Jews who arrested him several times. It's Jews who led the impeachment. It's Jews who undermined his presidency. And, you know, everywhere he looks, it's Jews. And at some point, it's possible that he's he's just going to uh, to snap. And and will he will he telegraph that snap? Is he going to you know, I don't know. I, I just I don't know what to expect from him. He's a complete wild card. But when otherwise you're just going to hell in a handbasket, maybe maybe a wild card is the best you can hope for. For the scenario of total collapse of the system, yeah. Um, as you mentioned before, we get more acceleration under Trump than we have uh, under any, any other president. Although I will admit that the uh, the Jewish-dominated Biden administration is is it, it's, we're getting a lot of acceleration under Biden too. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. It's hard to argue with that. <laughs> but uh, at, at, at any rate, just to play the other side here. With all of the the Jewish opposition that Trump faced, he you know he faced a lot of Jewish support. Uh, you know, his son-in-law, you know Jared Kushner, uh, Adelson supported him. The late Sheldon Adelson supported him simply because Adelson saw the winds of change and just wanted to get in on on you know the control and manipulation of things financially. Um, but I think Trump sees too that he's got a lot of hooks in him. And that these people can pull him down to the dirt when they want to. So perhaps he's choosing uh, the side of Jewish power that benefits him, the opportunist that he is. That's a question. Well, okay. So Adelson's when when he ran in 2016, Trump did not take contributions during the primaries. He did take contributions during the general election. Adelson donated something like over a hundred million dollars. He, he, he donated bigly. It was his number one. Well, I guess you'd say number two campaign contributor because Trump was still his, his own number one co- contributor. And that's important. No other candidate has ever done that. Trump, Trump self-funded his primary and, and was still his number one uh, contributor to his own, his uh, general election campaign. You mentioned uh, Kushner and Kushner, I would say Kushner didn't support Trump. Kushner just took advantage. He just took advantage and undermined him, but he just exploited his relationship. And so many of these Jews, like, um, I don't know, uh, what's the guy's name? Gary Cohn from Goldman Sachs, who was the economic advisor, or Mnuchin was his treasury secretary. The Jews that got in, um, they undermined him. And and so so did a lot of... So did practically everybody in his administration. Um, so I don't know. Right now, are there really Jewish Trump supporters? Are there? I don't know. Can you think of any Jewish Trump supporters? I guess uh, uh, who's that? Who's that lady? From uh, when I say lady, she's pretty young. What's her name? She she ran for Congress in Florida and lost. Oh, Laura Loomer. Laura Loomer. I guess she's a Trump supporter. Yeah, um, Miller, Stephen Miller kind of fell off the radar. I'm just looking him up now to see uh, what we got on him, where he's at now. I mean, he was... I've seen him not too long ago. I think he's still doing his thing. Yeah, I mean, Miller could very easily be brought in. In other words, Trump could be like, well, it's not all Jews, look at Miller. 
you know, he's on my side. Uh, there's always this plausible deniability, you know, that you mentioned where Jews get on the opposition side and advocate for it so that no one can turn the opposition into an anti-Semitic uh, movement. Because they're like, well, look, here's these Jews opposing these things that you say other Jews are supporting. So there's that. Um, I think at the end of the day, he does know and that, that he is, he understands that the, the most powerful, uh, you know, Jews in the system are opposed to him and he's got a very, very small following that support him. I think he understands that. I don't know how he couldn't. Uh, that having been said, what, what do we emerge with? Let's, let's do a scenario of Trump winning and 2025 rolls around and get the inauguration. What do we emerge with? Uh, definitely better immigration policy, possibly better social policy. Uh, but then we still have the support for Israel. And will the Israeli-Palestinian genocide still be going on? And what with Iran? Um, I've mentioned okay. this before. If, if, if they were going to have a president that was, you know, Trump is an anti-war president, probably one of the more anti-war presidents that we've had. But would he capitulate to them in a conflict with Iran in light of this Israeli-Palestinian issue? When Trump was inaugurated the first time in January of 2017, I was there, by the way, and and, uh, was on Stormfront. And I don't think I was I wasn't a host of Stormfront quite yet, but I was on Stormfront and on David Duke's show uh, broadcasting it live. And um, Trump was inaugurated as the leader of the most powerful country on earth. In 2025, January 2025, Trump is not going to be inaugurated as the leader of the most powerful country on earth. He's going to be, uh, he would be the leader of a country in serious decline, a country that's not able to, to dictate outcomes on the other side of the earth. It's just not able to anymore. It's the, um, the position of the United States in 2025 is going to be just so much so much weaker than in 2017 that even if trump wanted to be pro-israel even if that's going to be his position it's not going to matter that much it's not going to matter nearly nearly as much as it would have in 2017 because the united states isn't going to be dictating terms it might it might have a seat at at the table but it's not it's not going to be dictating terms it's not going to be shaping the 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 new middle east so I don't know if, you know, I, I could envision a situation where Trump isn't, isn't going to even make any kind of attempt, not even make a, a pretense of coming to Israel's aid. Um, but even if he wanted to make the pretense of doing it, I don't think he could do much more than a pretense because the United States is not going to be dictating terms over there anymore. It's, it's too weak. Uh, now, I, I am very curious to see what happens because he's uh, with, with regards to immigration, because he's not only campaigning on building a wall and stopping illegal immigration. He is campaigning on mass deportation. And I, I heard Brother Nathaniel on uh, I got to get him. I got to contact him, reschedule that uh, that talk that we were going to have. Maybe we can have him on Patrick and Jeremy instead. But uh, he was on, on Nick Fuentes's show. And Brother Nathaniel was kind of dismissive of the idea of of mass deportation. We're never going to get rid of them. Uh, okay, but the thing is, 
there's going to be a lot more people. And, and I, th- I think in, at the end of the day, Brother Nathaniel's probably right, probably, uh, that, that Trump would, will order mass deportations and there will be all that same stuff that we had with the, the wall with these lower court order, you know, judges in lower courts getting it tied up and, and he, he not knowing the bureaucracy, not having enough control and knowledge of the bureaucracy to, to impose his will, that everything will just kind of like fizzle. But the, I think the pe- people's attitudes have greatly changed. So in 2017, if you were talking about mass deportation, uh, people's, the American public's sympathies were like, well, it would just be, it would be mean. You, you, these people have been here. You can't just uproot them. We got to, you know, we got to come to some sort of, some sort of accommodation. But I think people's attitudes now, uh, because more and more people have been directly impacted, more and more people are, are just seeing these immigrants and they're just all of a sudden here in huge numbers. And they're, you know, they're getting all of these gibs. And I, th- I think people are really sick of it. And, and not just not just white right wing people, but I think a lot of blacks and I think just a lot of people who are in contact who see them everywhere. And the idea that that you, you could have some malevolent administration come in, throw open the borders and then and import just millions and millions of people to walk over the borders in flagrant disregard of of American law. And 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 then they, they should have the expectation to just remain here. I, I think people's attitudes have changed a great deal. So, yeah, mass deportation is still a long shot. But I think people's attitudes have, have really, really changed. And I think if like if Trump in 2017 had started large scale deportations people, um, and, and been successful in actually getting them out of the country, it would have done them political harm. I think in 2025, if he were able to deport, especially the people who came uh, during the these four years of the Biden administration, if he were to, to have large scale deportations of those people, I think it would it would do him. Not that he's ever going to run for re-election again, but I think it would bolster his popularity. So that's what I say. Just to play Nathaniel's advocate for a moment, and by 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 you know putting this out there. This sort of falls into the category of they control things, they are manipulating things, right? That that's into that category. So disclosure. This could be a situation of one step forward, ten steps back, where they flood the country to the point of people even on the left getting sick of it, and then mass deportation is allowed, but it's too little too late. The demographic uh decline you know, it has already reached critical mass. And we're probably down to 50% or less right now. Uh, according to the Stormer, we're looking at 19 years uh, for that to be a fact. And and that's that's based on, you know, surveys and polls and things that could be wrong. It could be much quicker than that. What do you think of that, that scenario where the system has allowed this, they've allowed Biden to come in and play bad cop, and just flood us and they give the people a little something they give the people this is what democracy does it gives you just a little something to cling on to to make you think progress is being made because people are going to see 
illegals deported, the debit cards going away, the $10,000 a person in New York City going away uh, under Trump, but yet it's already reached critical mass. What do you think of that? Um, I, in certain ways, it's, it's already reached critical mass. Uh, now, we often look back on 1965 as being this turning point, right? So you had, you could look at the American population as pre, pre-65 and post-65. And so pre-65, you had, had white people, um, Catholics and Protestants from a variety of uh, European countries, you know, primarily the British Isles and Germany, but also big hunks from uh, from Eastern Europe, you know, Poland, Southern Europe, uh, Italy, you know, Greece, places like that. Sometimes when your hopes have all been shattered, there's nowhere to turn. You wonder how you keep going. Think of all the things that really matter in the changes you learn. Health Simple with Colorado Shilaji. Fact bit number two. In Ayurvedic pharmacology, Shilaji is the king Raza Yoga Vahayana. Razayana is one of the comprehensive disciplines of Ayurveda. It comprises of specialized uses of herbal minerals to achieve the optimum state of health. Razayana is a path to achieve homeostasis and thus retarding the process of aging and the prevention of diseases. Shilaji stands alone as the king herbal mineral over all other earth-made substances. Within Razayana, Shilaji is the ultimate substance that improves quality of plasma and blood. Thus, it strengthens and promotes health to all tissues of the body. Legit Shilaji, like Colorado Shilaji, is as the literal Sanskrit translation implies. Shilaji is the conqueror of mountains and the destroyer of weakness. Look for the gold mountain and medical symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N. Homeowners, are you in foreclosure, expecting to be served with a foreclosure lawsuit, or suspect your lender has coerced you into an illegal mortgage transaction? A huge number of mortgages made in the last 10 years have legal issues and are possibly defective. State laws and the U.S. Supreme Court have upheld that defective mortgage documents are grounds for foreclosure defense and for counterclaims in favor of the homeowner. If your mortgage has been sold or assigned since closing the loan, it may be defective and you may be paying the wrong party and the lender may not have standing or the right to foreclose or collect payments under the law. If you would like to know if your mortgage is legal or not, or know if you are paying the right party, we can help. Our initial consultations are free of charge. We are not attorneys. We are legal researchers and work closely with experienced lawyers who know how to help you find the evidence to help you keep your home. Email Tom at republicbroadcasting.org. T-O-M at republicbroadcasting.org. People often write to tell us what has happened for them since starting Extendivite. Allow me to read a few. After taking Extendivite for about six months, I've noticed improvement on the numbness of my hands and wrists from the carpal tunnel syndrome. I will continue to buy product. This formula is very powerful. I am feeling much better. My heart rate and blood pressure is stabilized. My lower edema has reduced and lower leg pain due to blood clots has disappeared. This product has relieved what appears to be an angina problem. 
pain in the chest after climbing stairs, and short on breath. I'm quite happy about it. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Extendovite. Primarily the British Isles in Germany, but also big hunks from uh, from Eastern Europe, you know, Poland, Southern Europe, uh, Italy, you know, Greece, places like that. But they, but they all looked at George, you know, and and they they all looked at George Washington. When I was a, a, a boomer kid, uh, I would ask my schoolmates, uh, you know, where where their ancestors were from, and they didn't know. And they'd have to go home and, and ask, and then they'd come back and tell me. But they didn't know. But everybody, uh, regardless of whether you were a you know Irish whose ancestors came over in the 1840s during the potato blight, or whether you were Polish and your ancestors came over through Ellis Island in the 1890s, or you were just old stock English, everybody looked back at George Washington as their their founding father. Everybody related to all of this these stories as if it was theirs. Uh, it, you know, not even the fact that they're in 1776, their ancestors might've been in Poland or Ireland or somewhere else was just irrelevant. They, they related to all of this. And that was, you know, that those whites were, uh, and maybe in some parts of the country, maybe in New York city or in, in Chicago, there or Boston, there might've been some neighborhoods where Irish or Italians had a, had a strong uh, ethnic identity, but for the most part, they didn't. And, that was ni- almost 90% of the population. Then you had some blacks. Uh, but And then post-65. Now, post-65, you got all the, these Hispanics that are almost all post-65. You got the Orientals who are almost all post-65. And, you know, people from very Indians, people from various random places, they're post-65. And they've been... Um, they have... They have been part of this anti-white coalition. They've been part maybe not the most enthusiastic members of it, but they've been part of this, um, you know, push for, for, uh, against white supremacy and whatnot. But, and I, and I know I'm long winded, but it might, may wind up being that these four years of Biden might consolidate. It, it, it might push a lot of these people to start relating more to, uh, the old America, identifying more with the old America, the America before 1965, the pre-65 America. And so you might start getting a, like a, a pre-65, uh, I'm sorry, a pre-Biden America uh, might start consolidating against the post-Biden uh, new Americans. That would be interesting. I know we're just about out of time. But yeah. that, those are my thoughts. Yeah, it kind of is one step forward, ten steps back. You know, just in, in closing, the theory that I've been pushing for a while 
is that in the early 20th century, in the same way that they tried to get all these white European who uh, immigrated to America to give up their Irish, Italian, French, uh, German identities and to pledge themselves to one nation under God, all right? And which, which that, that was added in 54. But the point is that in the early 20th century, you had this. You had this whole uh, American empire thing where it didn't matter where you came from in Europe. Your, your allegiance was to America. They've taken that and they've applied it in 65. And now it's, it doesn't matter from what third world country you come from. You can be all Americans. It doesn't matter if you're white, brown, or whatever. There's that slip. There's that slip on the slope that I'm pointing out and that I've all been pointing out for a while. And so, in part two. yeah, we're at the end of the show. Thanks a lot, Patrick, for joining me. Hey, thank you for having me. Stay classy and can, uh, tune into part two on uh, National Bugle, 12 noon central on Wednesday. Tom Bolton for Ease Off. I know so many of you are finding our EZ4 Carcass Drop and Lift an essential tool for your meat processing operation, but today I want to spotlight four of our new products. First, our right height hog cradles with steel or aluminum frames. Our customers love this back-saving innovation that enhances sanitation and speeds production. Next, our beef cradles with stainless steel or aluminum frames eliminate rust and corrosion. We hope you'll compare our quality and prices for this essential part of your processing line. Our cradles are especially effective when used with our power skinner. And finally, our hook tumbler will keep your hooks clean and polished. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. EaseOff, LLC, 417-932-6419. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.